<laughs> okay, we're recording. You guys can start anytime you want. Okay. Hello, and welcome to I Know the Owner, a podcast where bar people talk bar stuff. I'm Charlene Wellington, and I'm here at South in Park Slope with the owner, Artie Shepard. Hi, Artie. Hi, Charlene. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How All are right. you? I'm, you know, fucking alive. <laughs> <laughs> hoping hoping that some city agency doesn't roll in. At any minute. At any minute. And tell us to stop doing whatever it is we're yeah, doing. Stop talking. Stop we're doing it. in footloose time. What was, what was today on the, on the list? Uh, the... Uh, the, the floor? You need flooring. Yeah. You need flooring for your outdoor, I'm, I've been calling them sukkahs. And I think that same fucking sukkahs. guy showed up to Freddy's today as well and like oh, didn't mention goodness. flooring. Which, like, it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited for this episode because you were my first guest that I don't actually know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We met once before yes. and we're in a text chain together. Of disgruntled bar owners plus Katie Martin. Yes. Because okay. <laughs> she doesn't want her, her boss to be on it for some reason. Um, yeah. I, 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 actually, the one meeting that we did have mm-hmm. in the back of Sidecar, um, yes. I found you to be uh, hilarious. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I wasn't even trying. Hopefully that will come out tonight. <laughs> You're full of personality. So oh. <laughs> Phew. All right, I've been doing something right. Um, so, um, you own this bar. Yes. And you own St. Vitus, yes. which is a venue. Yes. I'm a fan. How long has St. Vitus been around? Ten years. And you've been the owner the whole time? Uh, yeah, I'm, well, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we, You're like we, the front man. We had to take it, yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> um, there's three owner-operators, um, and uh, we, we obviously had to get money to buy the place mm-hmm. or to open it. Uh, to build out and whatnot because it was raw um, so yeah there's there's a bunch of uh, there's like everybody everybody claims to be an owner of St. Vitus so okay you know, yeah I've know. been to places like that <laughs> I wish they could take on our debt and our bullshit but, <laughs> that know, would be but, amazing <laughs> um, I can't believe it's only been 10 years it feels like one of those places that's an institution it yeah like yeah immediately an institution it, it was uh, it wasn't immediate um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it was like you know being there 16 hours a day for yeah, yeah. years and years and years mm. um but it's a yeah, it's it's a really special place. Like I, I, I don't know how it started. I mean, the first thing, big thing we ever did is when we just like we realized that if we just ask people, they'll actually yeah. come. So, okay. Like, so like I saw that Tony Iommi was putting out a book from Black mm-hmm. Sabbath, and 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 I was like, well, hey, you know, Dave, uh, who was our booker, I was like, hey, why don't you get in touch with Tony Iommi's people and see if we do it? And he did, and within minutes, he was like, yeah, they're gonna come. They're, co- they're coming tomorrow. Just like, that. it was literally within a day. And and it was like, wait, we can get Tony Iommi. And that became, like, our uh, mantra, where it was like, Tony Iommi. Anytime anybody would say we can't do something, we'd be like, you Tony just Iommi. just Tony Iommi. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, like, like you know, Carcass, play, Carcass played and, um, uh, you know, and, and move on to, like, Nirvana, obviously, in, in mm-hmm. 2014, which was, like, just massive. And, yeah. and uh, that's an entire separate podcast. That story is fucking incredible, but I literally it would take me an hour to fucking tell it. But uh, but that was like that was a huge thing that really put us on another level. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, like after that, it, like everybody was the thing to do was to do like the secret show at Bites and Nice. You know, and and I you know like we never put a sign up. Mm-hmm. We never, like, it's very speakeasy. And the reason we didn't put up a sign-up originally was because the neighborhood was so shitty yeah. that we didn't want anybody to know we were there. Yes. And <laughs> because the locals were not exactly uh-huh. inviting. We could, we could get Kevin Martin, who's sitting over there, uh-huh. who runs the homeless shelter that's around the corner from Vitus. Okay. And, uh, and you know, like, he's been very helpful at, at times because mm-hmm. we've had issues with them. So it's kind of a little bit like maybe what CBGB's was back in the day. Like it's in like a bad neighborhood. I know you don't want to say that. I wish that, we could sell that many T-shirts. Yes, but, you know. <laughs> but they didn't sell that many T-shirts back in the day, Fuck right? Fuck yeah, they, well, I like mean, a eventually. Bad, yeah. Like a bad neighborhood. You knew you were going to get a disease from the bathroom, and you know like, what it was. Fine. You know what you know what it was, and like I I have this sort of like weird thing that when we were when we found the space and we were talking, you know, like to people about it before uh-huh. we opened. Be like, are you fucking crazy in that neighborhood? 
and yeah. you know I I like at that like so many people had said it to me that at that point I was like you know if somebody didn't tell me I was fucking crazy then I know I'm doing the wrong, wrong thing yeah. you know what I mean like yeah, if yeah. they're telling me I'm doing something crazy then therefore I am taking a risk and it's the right thing to do because it was it was really like you know I have to admit like I pretty much drank myself through the entire experience of the opening and the first couple of years uh -huh. and I took over the finances within the first six months and I had no idea what I was doing uh -huh. and you know it was like all sorts of fun shit like that but you know it was it was a great learning experience and it's insane what it's become you yeah. know uh, to me uh, I definitely I, I credit my partners in a huge way um, my one partner George who I worked with at Matchless uh -huh. um, I was just going to ask where you worked before that. But yeah, well, we'll get into that. We'll that's, get into that. That's, good that's my next question. Um, <laughs> he's like the, the fucking best bartender on the planet. Uh -huh. um, he's, I call him the gigantic hug. Okay. He's like, he's one of these guys that like, he's a big gigantic Greek guy. And like, when you walk in the door and George's behind the bar, mm -hmm. you just like, you're literally embraced by this guy's. Like, I've never met anybody who can leave all his problems at the door. That is a very good quality. Which is, yeah, well, it's it's huge as a bartender. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. You know, that's what you have to do. You know, like you're you're in charge. It's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yes, yes. It's what you're supposed to. It's do. what you're supposed to do. And I, I, can, I, I can say that I've I've never been particularly great at it, but I'm not but, the best. I try. Yeah, but I mean, some people are really good at it. It, it can be endearing. Yes. You know, like when you like, hey, you know, I'm just like you, and you know, I have. I have problems, I want to listen to you, you can listen to me, that's cool. Yes. But, you know, when bartenders start making it about them, that's when it's fucking late. It's like, but wait, <laughs> am I working here? Um, so did you come up through bartending? Yeah, so basically, I, I at, at the age of 13, Okay. I, uh, my sister got me a job, I should say my sister, because I've had a couple of drinks, so I, I should, my accent should come Where out. are you from? Long Island. Okay. South Shore. Uh, uh oh. So, uh, <laughs> my sister got me this job uh, as a barback. Uh -huh. uh, not a barback, as a as a as a busboy. Okay. Uh, at, at this place called Smith. Yeah, the Smithville Cafe. It was my summer going into my sophomore year in high school. I was I, I was younger. I was a year younger than most people in, okay. in in high school. So, I started working at this place, and God, man, did I see some shit. Like at 14 years old, I got dragged down in the basement with the cooks were all doing blow constantly uh -huh. and like the cook was like he's like I don't want to do any coke by myself <laughs> I'm like and you shouldn't have to and he's like you want some I'm like no it's and a like, party I, drug I, I, <laughs> I was like I'm 14 dude like, no I don't want my any brain's fun. not developing I don't yet. want any blow dude it's cool <laughs> but like so he's doing lines and shit and like you know it was it was a very eye opening experience and, and I worked at that place for 8 years oh wow I worked there till I was till I moved from Long Island to Queens uh, when I was 22 Mm -hmm. um, so I was everything. I was like, you know, I was a busboy. I was a maitre d'. I was a waiter. I was, you know, and I really like my bosses were the fucking weirdest group of people. And it was like, it was just, it was a really cool atmosphere. Uh, the place is gone now. It burned down. I think the owners at the time burned it a couple years ago. <laughs> it's mysterious circumstances. And, you know, it's like one of those. You know, that's one of those things that whenever people are like, that place burned down. You know, they probably. They probably just set it on fire for the insurance money. And I'm always like, do you know how insurance works? That's yeah. not how it works. Insurance doesn't like, cover anything. It doesn't cover anything. <laughs> like, like, you get an insurance adjuster to come in, and he's like, oh, yeah, you're not covered for that. And then you have nothing. Insurance like, is the biggest scam in the world. I don't think you thought this through. To anybody who's listening to this, insurance is the biggest scam, but you have to have it. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the scam behind that's it. That's the scam. Um, so, yeah, so, like, like uh, I moved to Queens. Uh, I was playing music. Uh, I worked at a, re a record store called Rebel Rebel on the on the Lower East Side, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then I got, I, I was uh, in a band that was signed to Island Jeff Def Jam. Uh, did that for two years uh, with the singer from Quicksand, and and then eventually uh, quit that because it was total bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, and you no, know, like the the singer of that band was like literally my hero. Like I was okay. I was playing in a band with like my favorite fucking singer-songwriter in the world uh, but you know he was going through flux and whatnot and so uh, then I started my own band and then his label signed me and we went on tour forever and blah 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 and then what my next band, band uh, I, I've been in so many okay uh, I, at, the, at that point it was 
the band I was in with Walter was World's Fastest Car, and then the next band was Era Type 11, and then I uh, got signed to Geffen. I cha we, our guitar player quit, and, and I was like, we're changing the name, and uh, we're gonna replace the guitar player, and we're gonna get a record deal in six months, and we did. And nice. we got signed to Geffen in 2001, or 2002, uh, and basically like, I spent most of my time in England touring, did all this blah blah blah, you know, the whole major label thing, spent $600,000 on an album with Bob Ezrin, so whatever, he's like, he did Alice Cooper and like, Pink okay. Floyd the Wall. Yeah, you should assume that I don't know who anybody That's is. That's cool, I mean, I, I, yeah. Because even if I do, I've forgotten. I'm so immersed in music world that like, I just like say things. My, and it, it, my um, yeah, my, actually, my history being in the music world is that I would like, find a scene that I like, like for example, I was very into the New York hardcore scene when I was like 17 or 18. And what year would that I, be? That would be like 1990. Okay. That and was when that was when my band was like big in the hardcore scene. Well, that's when we first started. Yeah. And so I would go to like the Ritz and the Moors and like places like that. Sometimes I would go to them, sometimes I would go to the outside of them. And when I meet people that were around back then, they're like, oh, did you see this band? Did you see this band? Blah, blah, blah. And the thing that I'm So you finally, saw Leeway a bunch of times. And, and I, I mean, I know Leeway. <laughs> I actually know those guys. That's hilarious. Yeah, age is um, great. But, but, but that's so funny because I never know anybody. The thing that I'm finally, finally, at, in my late 40s, willing to admit is that I never did it for the music. I, like, fell into the New York hardcore scene, and I was like, these are my people. Right. And the people were amazing. And, but the music was too loud for me. Right. Well, so I, I would... It, 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 like, not to go off on a tangent, but like yeah, the, the, no, the, the hardcore scene is, is very much a social scene. Yes. And, and it was definitely like the Misfit Toys. Mm -hmm. I mean, for a while there, yeah. it was kind of the cool kids. But, you know, like when I got into it, it was very much the Misfit Toys. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and like everybody... And what I, what I realized throughout that entire situation besides the stupid gang shit that went on mm -hmm. um, you know as things progressed through the 90s a lot of these kids were really smart yes. really sensitive and would go on yeah. to do these incredible things like now you know but, like but back then your mom would get mad that you were hanging out with a guy that had you know safety pin in his nose yeah I mean, well, but, you know like <laughs> but hand, I, I appreciated hand, that because I liked tattoos making, were a bit much but yeah, like, I liked you know. making my mom mad um, <laughs> but like of all the groups that I hung out with because I grew up in Brooklyn and you know like I went to school where in Brooklyn like I grew up in Kensington actually okay and I went to school in Kings Highway, I went to school in Coney Island. And For anybody who's listening, we can throw a rock to Kensington. Yes, we can. <laughs> um, so I hung out with all different groups, and I feel like the hardcore kids were the nicest, most respectful kids. Yeah. And so, like, you'd have to go to a show and get, like, knocked around a little bit. There was a lot of girl inclusion. Loud. Yes, absolutely. And, and that was, like, I, I always felt like there was a, a tremendous amount of respect. Yes. Nobody ever tried but, to raise the hardcore scene. But that also had a lot to do with the fact that, like, I don't know, there was only like six girls at the show, so you like, yeah. you're like, yeah. shit, I might actually have a chance of getting laid by somebody. Maybe I, you know. they would like make a little bit of a wall around us, because so we could go in the pit, but not actually get like fondled by strangers. I, yeah, the, the pit, all that stuff is so fucking stupid. <laughs> I, I, I got but over that when 17. I was about seventeen. Yeah, but. what I was saying, I was seventeen, <laughs> and so they were like, they were like, you're not going in the pit because guys are going to try to grab your boobs so every so often and that's what happened so well i mean those those people should have been dragged out and beat up but they were well, they were well, most people were yeah <laughs> yes so anyway so anyway, anyway yeah so like i so i did i got then i got signed to geffen i did this four-year stint of crazy shit um I played you know download festivals and like all these big festivals in europe mm -hmm. and blah, 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 blah. and it was like it was Big deal shit, and then of course the record got soft released, and it was a whole fucking shit show. And you know, I had to tour with Corn for six months, which was a total <laughs> bum out. But uh, I mean, but it was fun. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. You, you, you can't argue with playing in front of ten thousand people a night, but yeah. only fifty of them are actually paying attention. But, uh, and the, the rest of them are in weird Jenkos and like have like they're Christians, but they're goth. I don't fucking get it. Yes. I mean, which actually that kind of makes sense. Um, <laughs> It did for me at least. Anyway, uh, so then we got dropped, and I basically so when that band they were called Instruction when when we were starting, I had 
we went to England for six tours. I put it all on my credit card, twenty-five thousand dollars. Wow. And when we got signed to Geffen... That actually seems cheap for six tours, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, we had a really good tour manager in England. He was very thrifty. Um, and, and we were sleeping on floors and like the whole night. We, and we you had, had credit back then, so that's also amazing. Incredible. Yeah, I still do. Um, oh, yeah. So, so... Now you're a grown-up. I had, I had, like, you know, accrued this gigantic debt that when we signed to Geffen, I didn't get a chance to... I didn't take the money to pay it off. Uh-huh. So, like, basically, like, I, I had this situation just before we signed where I was $25,000 in debt and I had $50 in the bank. Okay. And I was like, okay, what the fuck am I going to do? And we were going through managers. We were going to meet with we, this guy, John Silva, who managed the Foo Fighters and mm-hmm. fucking the Beastie Boys and at the time at the drive-in. All these uh-huh. And he was like, he was like, well, I want to renegotiate your deal with Geffen. And I was like, no. Nah. Like, I'm not fucking, like, yeah. I need this money. Like, if, if you renegotiate and it gets fucked up, I and suddenly have nothing. So, it was like, like, but I didn't actually take any money to pay that off. I just would pay the minimum for four years. And so, when we got dropped, I had nothing. So, we, they, there's this thing called pay so or play. that actually it, makes you more able to deal with the situation right now where you're working for nothing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's just commonplace. It, but there's this thing in major label contracts called pay or play. Okay. So if you, if, so if you sign a two-record hard deal, right, okay. and you get dropped after your first record, uh-huh. you're supposed to be guaranteed the second record. Okay. They're supposed to buy you out of your contract. They found a fucking loophole. These fucking motherfuckers at Universal Music. Yeah. You fucking lawyer bitches. They fucking found a if loophole. If any of you lawyer bitches are listening, we're mad at you. Yeah, if, especially <laughs> ones that work for fucking labels. And they found a fucking loophole where we were supposed to get 100 grand. They gave us nothing. And wow. so my manager, who uh, Bill McGathy, who actually lives up uh, in Park Slope, he uh, he negotiated a situation where we were able to get like 15 grand. But that just you paid our still, merch bill in yeah. Europe. So I, I, I basically was like, okay, I have nothing now. I literally, I'm like my, my wife, uh-huh. who was my girlfriend at the time, had thrown uh-huh. me out. Oh, wow. So but I she's was, your wife now. Yeah. So it wife. ended up okay. We got back together. Gotcha. And, <laughs> but she threw me out. So I had nowhere to live. Uh, I did have a place to live. My friend uh-huh. Amanda, who was a, a connoisseur of the arts and a very wonderful human being, uh, who had a penthouse in the Upper West Side, which was beautiful. Um, so I basically was like looking for a job, uh-huh. and so I went to you know my friends were like, you know you you have you know hospitality experience. Why don't you try and get be a bartender? And I was yeah. Because like, all my friends were bartenders, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll try. It. Fuck it. So I went around and fucking my my bass player in my band actually dragged me around. He worked at local one thirty eight. Okay. On Ludlow. Yes. Um, and so he was like he was like dragging me around to bars like just go in here and go in here. Uh huh. And I was like Before at my wit's end. I was at my wit's end. And this is like 2005. Okay. Yeah, it was 2005. And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm sitting outside a place called Apartment 138 on Smith Street. And I was like, which is not there anymore. And I grew up with Alfred. Oh, you were Fred. Fredo. Yeah, yeah. fucking. God, I love Fredo. Uh, fucking we, that guy. That's who I was He told me how to bartend. In the, shut up. He told me how to fucking bartend. Absolutely. That's who I was hanging out in the New York hardcore scene with oh, in 1990. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Of he course. had a huge pompadour. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it was purple. I know he's a Smith fan. Um, so, so, uh, uh, so I walked in. Like my, my bass player was just like, dude, Adam is one of my best friends. He's like, uh-huh. just go in here. Just fucking fuck uh-huh. it. Just go in. So I walk in. I'm like, you guys looking for any help? And it was this guy, Mike Esposito, mm-hmm. who is, he owns Cebu. Yes. Uh, in, in Bay Ridge still but like uh, the other owners of Apartment 38 were uh, Ted Nugent yes uh, um, I knew Ted Mann as <laughs> I, I knew that, him at the time I know that story yeah <laughs> um, uh, Larry Highland mm-hmm. uh, who owns the beer garden uh, so does Ted um, and they were like can you start on Sunday you want to work Sunday brunch I'm like sure it literally hired me on the spot and and I was like okay you know like fucking sure no idea what I was fucking doing and no idea what I was fucking walking into because, you know, brunch. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anything I, can happen and you got to make a lot of mimosas. I worked, well, I worked, I worked that brunch, but then I worked, they hired me every day. So I worked Monday through Friday and Sunday 
uh, lunch. I did the lunch. Okay. And I, I made wanna, in order to be listener friendly, I want to explain when you when we say you know brunch. Um, the thing about brunch is, it's not bar people. The people that come in for brunch are not people that are used to sitting in a bar and being nice. They're awful. <laughs> well, they're also being they're also being pushed out. They're awful. Because it's it's yes. about high turnover. Yes. So and, and, and you know like basically what I did was I worked there every day and like I took any shift anybody could get, like yeah, anything yeah, I could do because I was do. I was probably making fifty dollars a day like no joke yeah and they eventually you know so they bought uh, they opened up a place called Camp. Camp. Yeah. And and I started working at camp. Uh-huh. See, I knew we had people in common. We just had to get to it. Uh, which was owned uh, Diane, who's yes. one of the owners of the Beer Garden as well. Yes. Uh, became my boss over there, and she was great. She was mm-hmm. classic Bay Ridge Greek. I heard and all good things about her. She's amazing. I don't know if we ever met, but and, I heard a lot uh, of good like, things honestly, about her. everybody that I worked for at that time, Larry, Ted, everybody, they were like Teddy especially was. Uh, Teddy and Larry were very open to teaching me. You know, and I, if I That's had questions, great. anything, they just mm-hmm. like were like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. So then from there, I started working at Bar 4. Got it. And yes. Matchless, which they had bought into in like 2008. And Alfred worked at Matchless too. He did for a minute. Yeah. yeah. And Bar 4. Right, he didn't like Matchless at all. <laughs> right? so, so Matchless was like, you know, Matchless was like super hipsterville. And, uh-huh, yeah. But not at that time. When I started working there, it was dead. And then it became a scene. Well... So, George, my partner George Salidas in, uh, in St. Vitus, and I, like, when they started doing the pool shows uh-huh. at McCarran Pool, yes. we were kind of like, we would talk and just like, and, and George is the type of person, like, I didn't even know his last fucking name yeah. for the first two years we knew each other. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it was one of those things. It was like a working thing. One day we both listened to Ingve Malmsteen and we were like, holy shit, you like metal? I like metal. You like metal? Holy shit. We, like, totally had this moment with each other. But, like, we made a point of, like, look, when these McCarran Pool fucking shows start, we're going we're gonna to make this place fucking not be the bathroom for Enid's, which yes. is essentially what it was. <laughs> and, and it worked. You know, like, we really, really fucking bared down. How'd you do it? We just, we were just fucking nice to people. Oh, you know, again, and we a created a scene where people like were just nice we, to people. No, but we played. I'll never learned. We played. <laughs> we played the right music. Uh huh. We did the right thing. I mean, at the time, Lawrence, who was the manager at, uh, he was one of the owners of Matches. He was the manager of the beer garden for a long time. Uh-huh. He, who's my favorite person in the whole fucking world, because he's so fucking crazy. I love it. But he wouldn't let us play metal. Okay. Which was so fucking weird, but we'd do it anyway. <laughs> And it became a thing, you know, like George and I started working the Two for Tuesday thing, and that was like a huge night. I mean, we were doing like, we were ringing $8,000 two for one. Like, think about that. Wow. The fucking. That's running. It would take me three hours to count our tips. I'd have to go in the, because they were always soaking wet. Oh, I'd have yeah. to put them in the dryer in the basement. Remember tips? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was. Remember cash tips? So it, eventually. Like so, then I started working at Little Frankie's on the Lower mm-hmm. Side because that was like all my friends worked there, and it was like really the epicenter of a huge scene of music and DJs and people. They they had uh, East East Village Radio, uh-huh. like all the shit. Uh, Scott Jordan Murs, who was like really into hip hop, a white kid from Georgia, like uh, uh, Julian Vasquez, who was the manager there. Like all these people were like really really essential in sort of like my and Frank Princesano, who owned. Uh, I, th- I probably t- totally fucked up his last name. Sorry, Frank. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, it, we know you're listening, Frank. Yeah, you might. Who knows? Yeah, you might. Who knows? You might. I'm not gonna imitate him. But, uh, <laughs> it's a fucking. Dr- what the fuck is this one? It's fucking dry. It's fucking wet. Why is it dry? It's a fucking. <laughs> Who fucking calls it dry? It's fucking wet. <laughs> but uh, one of the things about Little Frankie's that really taught me a lot was so he owned Frank uh, uh, Supper. Okay. Little Frankie's and Sauce. Got it. Um, and Frank is like one of these amazing guys who was cool enough and understanding enough to hire the right managers who would hire the right people. Basically like a Mario Batali style guy. Okay. Where it's like, hey, these guys are covered in tattoos. We're going to teach them about wine and food. Yeah. And they're going to fucking do it. Yeah. And he gave basically the entire New York hardcore scene jobs. I like that story. <laughs> and we were all given these this incredible uh, knowledge and ability. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, 
the shit I learned about Italian wine was fucking nuts. You know, there's a great, uh, great story where I, one night I was at Little Frankie's and the bar, the busboy took my keys because you uh -huh. only could lock from outside. Okay. So, and there was one universal key that like locked every one of the restaurants. Oh so wow! He, he fucking he took that's, my key, so I was like, trust. I, I can't leave because I can't lock the place. So yeah. I, so I'm like I'm in there and I'm like I'm like fuck I gotta sleep here. My my now wife and my girlfriend uh -huh. at the time it was like she's like are you fucking somebody? I'm like oh, no I'm not fucking anybody. Like I'm just fucking I'm stuck here. I don't know yeah, what anybody yeah, to tell yeah. you. And it, so I was like I was like fuck it. I grabbed, there was a 230 wine bottle wine list. Uh huh. You know what? You just spent the night learning the wine list? No. I went down and I picked out a $500 bottle of wine. I went down to the basement. I grabbed it. I opened it. And I just sat there and fucking drank it and fucking listened to music. Oh, and it was hysterical. No. And I fell asleep on the bench in the... In and the, you didn't get fired? By the bar. <laughs> you could, that's the cool thing. Frank is yeah. the fucking best. He's the, fucking, he's, he's the type of guy who, like, I witnessed him walk I into... I mean, I guess... I witnessed him walk into the bar at fucking 3.30 a.m., Go and open a four thousand dollar magnum of wine, and just fucking start pouring for a heat. Wow, He's the shit! And like, <laughs> like, like that's that was really like an inspiration to me. Yeah, you know, like and and Teddy and Larry and all those guys. Mm -hmm. I really felt like like I was, you know, I, I was like I, I get this, I get what it takes to yeah. do this. Little did I know, um, <laughs> and like so at the end of Matchless, like we we got an offer to. To open our own place, mm -hmm. it was like, "Hey, you guys want to do this?" Blah blah blah. My uh, my friend Justin Skirty as well, and we were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah let's fucking do it." You know, I was also working at Number Seven uh, in Fort Greene. Oh, I don't know. You know Number um, Seven? You still worked across the street. And, and, Stuart's uh, here, by the way. Telecord, fucking great, per <laughs> great people, amazing people. Yeah. Um, so we got this offer, and it was like we started looking for real estate. We found it. Um, we didn't tell our bosses that yeah. this had happened while we were doing the build out mm -hmm. they found out and they got really pissed off yeah yeah and they cut our hours down which was uh -huh. a bum out um kind of put me in a really difficult situation uh financially at that time but yeah we wound up opening uh it took four months to build out um, only four months oh god <laughs> yeah Matt Matt Maddie, Matthew Maddie, thank you, Matthew Maddie. Hinterlands uh, took 15 months. That's ridiculous. Um, but you know, there were there were some some things skirted, shall we yeah. say, uh, in order to get open, and uh, and that that was how Vita started. And then you know, from then on, it was like we were we were we didn't really have any employees. We were just working. Yeah. Constantly. Um, how many of you were there, partners? There are five partners. Okay. Um, three of us were owner operators, um, and yeah, it was it was it was just a shit ton of work. And like, at some point, because we owed X amount of money yeah. to the investors, um, and they wanted their money. Yeah, yeah. We kind of, like like I, I I often used to use the analogy where like uh, where it was like. Um, I, I felt like oftentimes I was in a clown suit at the uh -huh. end of Manhattan Avenue going, come down yes. here, please. Yes. And, and uh, you know, that, that's essentially what it did. But what we realized was we had hired a, a kid to book book the room because, like, I couldn't do it. And, you know, it was just like, it's too much trouble. Yeah. I, and I hate, I fucking hate, like, at this, like, I've been touring for 25 years, like, live music. I mean, I love it, but yeah. it like, drives me fucking crazy. So, you know, like he, he started booking more shows, more shows, more shows. We had a stage in the back, but we only used it on weekends. Really? Yeah, it was like, we only okay. had like a couple of shows a week. And then, you know, like it was like, well, guys, we need like, probably about two years in, it was like, I think we need to book shows every day. Yeah. And we need to figure this out. So, moving forward, you know, I had a, big meeting and stuff and it was just like alright this is what we gotta do so we we did it and he stepped up to the plate and hit fucking 18,000 fucking grand slams I mean it was like unreal Dave, Dave Castillo thank you Dave is he still there? Uh, yeah well he's well, an owner no, now he's still there he's an owner now, now like right? he's like the chef you're that closed we had to, now for the pandemic we're closed uh, probably until mid next year yeah Oof. Um, but yeah it's it, like 
I mean, think about what we do. Yeah. It's it's all <laughs> talk about not cool. People. Yeah, it's, it wouldn't work. Um, but yeah, it's it's it was like we just went from there, and then all of a sudden shit just escalated, and yeah, it, it was it was very organic. It felt yeah, felt great. I mean, none of us we weren't making any fucking money. No, you know, like but we we managed to pay the place off in three years, which was nice. a miracle. Um, I mean, for any yeah, bar Char- owners out there, Charlize wasn't making any money the first few years, and I worked um, four shifts a week. Um, so then, you, you were making tips. And that's, I was making tips. Yeah. But the thing that I didn't realize was because it wasn't an established bar, I was making less working four days a week at Charlene's and running it. So it was essentially working seven days a week. But I had four like night shifts bartending. I was making less in tips than I was making bartending because we didn't have any customers. Uh. So I was like, wait, what happened? Like, for three years, I was like, what did I do? I can't even make, like, I wasn't even making, you know, $100 a night in tips. And so it was, I was making maybe half of what I was used to making and working three times as hard. And Well, I'll say this to anybody who's listening to this. Um, I was working three days a week at Matchless uh-huh. and making six figures. Close to All right. And yeah. mostly, I'm not going to say this out loud, but, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, uh, it, it was it was uh, it was way I went I went from that to making eighteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> same. I mean, and, and, and it, like you, you you know like we we would always joke like, why the fuck did we do this? And but, you know, the minute you own the bar, people think you have money, so they they're constantly asking you to like support their children's schools fundraiser <laughs> and donate to this thing. Oh, totally, and, totally. And yeah, can I, you? You know, support that. And I'm like, no, I have no money. Well, I, like, had, I had, at Vitus, I had, a, I had a partner, his name's Josh Cohen, mm-hmm. and he owned uh, Jimmy's Diner, um, Anella. Uh, uh, he, he, he's owned, like, many, many places. At the time, okay. I think, uh, uh, Lilia. Uh, I don't know anything. Are these all in Williamsburg? Yes. I don't know yeah. anything. I don't know anything about Williamsburg. I Williamsburg did, yeah. but I, I, I don't anymore. My brain is mush. Totally okay. But like, <laughs> they're all really well-known places, and like he, he was very uh, helpful to sort of ease us into being an owner uh-huh. and understanding, you know, like the the realities of all of that. Uh, How much no money? One, no one did that for me. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you know, like you, you, like what kind of percentages you should be working on uh-huh. that, that sort of stuff. Um, which me being, you know, like when I got thrown into the financialist end of it, I was like, holy shit, oh my God, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. We still owed money from the fucking build out. We owed, like, you know, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy what the fuck was going on. But anyway, so it, like, yeah, it just, like, it, you know, Vitus just took on a life of its own in its own way. Um, and yeah, we became what would be hopefully considered, you know, like a version, a new version of the CBGBs. And, you know, which was cool for me because, you know, I've been playing shows. I played shows everywhere, all over the fucking city. And it, it, what was interesting about Vitus, and yeah. I'll, I'll say this just in, in, uh, in retrospect, was at the time I was touring in Europe a lot. Yeah. Europe and England. And so I would I would purposely go to every single fucking metal bar. Every, like, like yeah. I was taking notes constantly. Because you wanted to open... Because we knew what Vitus was going to be. Okay. We, wanted, we wanted to make it a Byzantine church, but we didn't have the money. <laughs> we ran out of money to next, do that. Next place. Um, well, we wanted to be Limelight. You know wow. what I mean? Like, that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was really like the ambition behind okay. it. It was like, we, we're going to make a new Limelight. We're going to make this place that's going to be, you know, whatever. Uh, granted, we didn't have like, the space like, like Limelight. Like Rock and Roll Church? Like Rock and Roll Church, yeah. yeah. Like, like, it was like you're going to walk in, like, I mean, Lemoy's. Yes. Like Lemoy's, Lemoy's was of course. You can't say Lemoy's without <laughs> nope. a Long Island accent. <laughs> nope. I get it. I, I can't say my hometown it. either, North <laughs> Belmore. I can't say it without it. Yeah, like uh, Lemoy's. Lemoy's was definitely like a huge inspiration, but Lemoy's uh-huh. was a thousand-person fucking venue. St. Vitus barely fits two hundred people. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, uh, it, you know, our aspirations were ambitious, Lemoyes. but at the same time, like we were very, very realistic as to what we were able to do and then of course there's legalities behind all that but you know it, it, it's uh, I, I'm, I'm very I'm extremely proud of 
what Vitus became and what it is now and uh-huh. for whatever that's worth. Um, but yeah, as far as this place goes, yeah, so we're so sitting let's in talk South. About south. Um, you just took South right before the pandemic. A year ago. A year ago. A so year. Yeah. We're so it was, three, it was three months. Yeah. It was three months before the pandemic hit. Oof. So basically, like, this was my local. Got and it. I loved everything about this place. I everything. Know. I love, I, like, when I sit inside South, I feel this just ease about life. Everything, yeah. everything just kind of slips away for me. Um, I don't know what it is about the space or, you know, whatever, but Dee and Paul, who are the old owners, they approached me um, two years ago and said that they were looking to get out and they were like, you know, would you be interested? And they got out just in time. (laughs) Fuckers. Fuck you guys. They got out just in time. (laughs) I've been talking to Paul today. I, I, I try not to bring that up. Uh, I owe him too much money. Oh, but, no. Um, but, uh, they, I mean, they're wonderful people. And, and uh, they, you know, they offered me the place. And I was like, okay, I'll try and figure out a way to come up with the money. Yeah. And eventually I did. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was and weird. And they were like, tag, you're it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, like, I thought this was going to be really simple. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it was like, Hey, I'm buying my local. Like, what is there? Like, we sell some alcohol. There's some people yeah. here. You know, it's a it's a pretty constant, continuous crowd. Yeah. You know, it, it's 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 a relatively simple place to it's run. It's a totally different than animal. the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I will say that, you know, it, it was I was elated to buy a place like this. One of the things that like the people don't understand about. Uh, bar ownership uh-huh. is the amount of bullshit you have to go through. Yes. So, like, this place <laughs> is really you. small. Yes. Super small. Yes. But you still have to go through the same the bullshit. Same bullshit. That you have to go you through have to talk for to a place that's really big. Beer so, like, Freddy's is twice the size. Yeah. I had to go through the same shit yes. that they had to go through. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, and it, it's. Do you mean pre-pandemic or during? Or oh, just in general. In just general. to buy yeah. a bar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's very, very cumbersome. Uh, and, and the city does, like, they make it so difficult, and they've made it Everything so is, much more difficult yeah, now. It's it's near um, impossible. Yeah. The fact that we're all still walking around and have a sense of humor, like, I mean, attests to our fortitude. Listen, dude, I, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I give you credit, I give everybody, <laughs> everybody around me credit for the fact that, like, you know, like, uh, that we can just kind of smile and deal with it. And understand that, like, you know, like, like, okay, so I signed the lease here, right? Yeah. And it's 10 years, nine years. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not going to make a dime Yeah. for the next nine years. I'm, for the, for the, to the yeah. completion of this lease, Yeah. because of the pandemic and because of the way that Cuomo and de Blasio have dealt with this, Yeah. I will, I mean, and, and not that, I'm not saying I have to be fucking rich. I didn't buy this place to be fucking, obviously. No, but you should be compensated for your work. I'm right. <laughs> cutting as many corners as possible to fucking try and be. I know. But like, it's 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 one of those things that like you just like it's a labor of love, and I yeah. and at this point, I only keep this place open because a I owe a lot of money, but b because <laughs> I staff. want I want well the staff of course, but I want I want people to have the great experience that they always had here. Yeah. It really. Yeah. Like to. When I, the, a local you know, uh, bar is a really special place. I will say that, like, the other day, uh, so Kevin and Shelly, who were sitting over there, they, uh-huh. they, were, they were taking pictures and posting them and whatnot in the snow. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, wearing, you know, like, just, like, I, I looked at those pictures and I'm like, this is bittersweet because I'm really happy that they're here. Yeah. But I'm really upset that they're not having the experience that they should be fucking having. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, I get it. Okay. We need to stop the spread. But they, I mean, and uh, I'm... Oh, helicopter. <laughs> they heard you say it. Traffic copter. I know. It's a Cuomo. Cuomo and de Blasio. Cuomo, Cuomo's and like, over and he's and like, oh, we've got to use the ventilators. <laughs> fucking asshole. Anyway, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I understand that their jobs are incredibly difficult. They, it's no precedence to this. They, they, they have no idea what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. But I do also feel, and I'm sure you will agree with this, and I'm sure everybody you've had on, on this yeah. podcast will agree 
we are being singled out. We are absolutely being singled and, out. And it's not, it's not fucking fair because the amount of joy that we bring, like this, this neighborhood, I, I've, been, I've lived here for 20 years. Yeah. I can't, like, I, I don't even know how to explain how fucking grateful I am yeah. that I'm here. Yeah. Because the, the COVID rate is super low. Yeah. Everybody, nobody lost their fucking jobs. Yeah. And and everybody's fucking super cool. And they'll sit here in 27 degree weather. And they'll, yeah. And they will. It. I have to say the last, since the last week, because we had to close, I mean the last few weeks, basically since this happened, but the last few weeks since it got cold, we have had a lot of regulars come by to Hinterlands um, and Minis. And... The people that have come by in the past few weeks, clearly... I love minis, by the way. Oh, thanks. Fucking <laughs> They clearly... Thank you. Didn't wake up that morning and say, I want to sit in the ice cold and drink a beer. They are only doing it out of love for us. Like, I feel like I no longer have a product that people want to buy. Right, yep. They're buying it out of pity. They're and, and, buying it out of, out of love and out of camaraderie. I totally agree. But they're not like, oh, you know what I want to do today? You know what would be fun? Let me sit in this ice-cold backyard and drink a cold beer so that my favorite local doesn't shut down. You know, it's... You know, another thing is that everybody has been so fucking supportive of each other. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like, essentially we are competition. I mean... Yeah. You know, like, like Freddie's and I, obviously... Right next door to each other. Yeah, we're, we're obviously we're quote-unquote competition but it's never been that it's been no it's always been a symbiotic relationship like hey i got it, a guy who builds this like let me give yeah, you his yeah. number the, the guy who yeah. built this built their out front area. yeah you know like I, I i i can't say enough about how cool everybody yeah. is yeah and you know like you can tell the people who are a little bit competitive you know like here and there like the, the yeah. way that they act and like you know that they've been through some shit or whatever you know but it's like at the end of the day if we don't support each other we're fucked we're all fucked yeah. and, and like we have to be together we have yeah. to and and it's like man I, I gotta say like like this neighborhood is the shit anybody who's listening <laughs> it's called South Slope slash Greenwood Heights slash uh, uh, whatever the fuck it's Sunset Park it was Sunset Park when so, I moved yeah, in yeah it was um, I live around the corner um, oh wow! That's, but like that's fucking close. yeah, <laughs> this is just you know it, it 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 it's been a very bonding experience. Yeah. In so many ways, and we're uh, and if anybody anybody who can fucking survive till June or July, oh boy, the you're fucking gonna, shit's gonna explode. It's yeah. gonna be fucking great. And New York gonna is gonna knock, come back. You're not fucking supposed to knock on the microphone. On. Stand, but New I York think is so gonna too. come back full fucking I, on. I think so too. And it's gonna be I fucking so. amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. So you have to do some. Uh, I gotta read a. I gotta read a an email because we have a segment called. Uh, you won't believe the fucking day I'm having, and <laughs> this week I actually got four emails. And I've never gotten that many emails before. That means people so, are listening. I know. So I'm very excited. And I saved this the one. The ventilators. Specifically. It's long. <laughs> yeah. Specifically because it's from another bar owner, even though if you send me your stories, they don't have to be about the bar business or the restaurant business. You saw a funny dog, someone cut in front of you in line. Just send me anything that happened in your day because I miss the back and forth that you get when somebody comes into your bar and you're like, uh -huh. hey. What happened to you today? And they're like, oh, you won't believe the fucking day I had. And then you talk. So that's what I'm trying to mimic. So I'm going to read this letter, and we're going to bitch about it. And then maybe we'll have time to tell one of our that stories. Looks long. Take yeah, a piss. it's long. Yeah, it's long. Can we pause? Can we do a yeah. piss pause? We can do a piss pause, and I'll get a drink. Brilliant. We never did that before. What do you want? Um, I guess I want another hot thing. That's uh, cider, cider and tequila. Oh. Okay. <laughs> do you want no, I'm good. Thanks. I so when you said you were from the South Shore, South Shore, South Shore, Stuart <laughs> laughed because I went to Madison High School and I was a cheerleader, and we had a cheer that one of the lines was, "South Shore hoys, you're gonna get beat by Madison, because we are number one." 
and came out here just to have some fun. So whenever Stuart hears South Shore, he can't help but think South Shore Wars. So <laughs> that should so have been some sort of weird rap song. <laughs> it, I mean, it was. It was a cheer. It was a cheer. We cheered it during football. You know, look, I'm just looking at the heaters being on. I'm just going. Cha-ching. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cha-ching. That's. <laughs> 6,000 watts, baby. And I don't know how many, like, neighborhood Facebook groups you're in. I'm in a few, and they're all like, hey, what's the what's the place that has the best heaters? And I'm like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Like, first of all, they don't Just work. be cold, they asshole. <laughs> and then, don't get me started on, like, that propane heaters are actually not oh, legal, no matter please. what I, I, no matter what you say, they're not legal, we're not allowed to have them, stop pretending we are. Bart's got them up at Sycar. Does he? He, he, dude, he, he got them for free. Oh my! He got the actual heaters from the city. Yes, for free. I heard about that. He got like four but of them. But where does he store the propane? Because you're not allowed to store it on he, property. He doesn't. I mean, like, I, yeah, I, he, <laughs> he just doesn't. He like, I, I, although maybe he's got a secret stash. I don't know. Maybe I, they they told my friend who has a restaurant in Kensington that she can store them in her car because that's not their jurisdiction. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw you. You posted that. I might have posted. I, I, that. I was like, like, really, really. Okay, so that's safer? Like, it's such a fucking asinine bullshit. It's all a gigantic pile of garbage. Yes! And we should not ever have to put up with any of this shit. I'm not saying that we should... They, my, my thing was, like, I feel like they should just fucking shut us down. Shut us down. Shut, shut us down, everybody down. Pay our rent. Four weeks. Pay our rent. You know what? Don't pay our rent. Give us a rent break. Give our landlords a mortgage break. Four that, weeks, done. That would be way cheaper than giving these fucking gigantic loans yeah. and all this other stimulus just bullshit. Four weeks. Just nobody has to pay rent. No. Nobody gets to collect mortgage. Four weeks. Just over, give me no done. bills. Give We're me no bills. Because one of the things, <laughs> what the general public doesn't understand about restaurants and bars is that uh-huh. our bills didn't go down. No, not at all. Our like, bills did not so go like, down. So like, I didn't even like so my fucking dishwasher, which I lease, yeah. which yeah. on D leased, which I disinherited. Uh-huh. My dishwasher, my fucking ice mm-hmm. machine, like my garbage collection, which yeah. I cut down to one day a week. Yeah, I did too. And one it's, day a fucking week, it, and it sucks. It only saved it me sucks. fifty bucks. Yeah, like, one day a week, fu- fifty bucks. I'm like, pointless. but and you know, you don't want to argue with those guys. No, they, they're, they're <laughs> usually pretty mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, it, it, people don't realize that, like, you know, like it, it's, it's, it goes beyond rent. It goes beyond all this other shit. These are the bills that we have to pay consistently. They don't go down. There's no pandemic like, oh yeah, things are okay. No, yeah. it doesn't work. It does not work. And, and and like, you know, like, so what the fuck are we supposed to do when our business is 30% of what it used to be? And then the it, thing is, like, it's not like we're making 30% of what we used to make because we don't get paid unless there's a profit. So we make zero. I mean, so um, we're basically dude, talk, working to keep you're, you're, our we're basically working to keep our staff employed. Again, I've been a musician for twenty five years, so yes. you know I'm used to not getting paid. But <laughs> <laughs> all right. But but okay. Sorry. All right. Back I'm gonna to, read a letter. Back to the. I'm gonna letters. read a letter. Um, this is the segment you won't believe the fucking day I had, and this is my from my friend VK, and it says, Charlene, can you believe the year we've had? I need to let you know about an interaction I had back in August. I am the owner of a bar restaurant in Brooklyn, and after a few months of being shut down with COVID restrictions, we had decided to give outdoor dining a go, just in time for the food rule and Cuomo chips to add a whole new level of difficulty to an already impossible oh, job. Oh, can I interrupt? Yes. What happened to the food mandate? I don't... I, I mean, <laughs> don't we still have it? No. We don't? It was stupid to begin with, and nobody... I mean, we do... But I mean, anybody... I feel like you can still get a $1,500 fine if they catch you not serving food. Yeah, if the SLA shows up. Yeah, or the DOT, or... We got a we got an inspection from the Taxi and Limousine Commission. I, I don't even know what the fuck it's about. The TLC, the TLC came, in. came in, and they were like, yeah, 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 you got to make sure you have X's on the floor. And I was like, but people are not allowed to go to the bar. And they were like, that's what we were told. I was like, but if I put these X's, then the next guy's going to come in and say, why do you have X's? Nobody's allowed to come up to the bar. Can I just bang my head against the wall until it fucking hurts? Until it bleeds? Yes. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, no. Interrupt. Interrupt as much as you want. That's what we're doing here. Okay. Cuomo chips to add a new level of difficulty to an already impossible job. 
Now I like to credit myself as someone who genuinely likes people, but somehow the pandemic and the Brooklyn heat brought out the worst in people. Um, I know this person. I don't think she likes people that much. Um, <laughs> uh, one busy Wednesday, I was seating, greeting, waitering, busing, running my 20 tables outside. When I came in to be informed by the bartender, there is a man in the bathroom. He isn't wearing a mask. I don't know why our staff is watching people in the bathroom, but that's it's another weird. story. Kind of weird. <laughs> I told her there isn't time, I will deal with it when he comes back upstairs. Immediately I hear screaming coming from our bathroom, and I go running to see what's happening. Out of the bathroom bursts a screaming, maskless man who looked like a bootleg Takashi69. And then she goes to explain who that is, <laughs> and you can Google it. I said to him kindly, sir, you need a mask, to which he replied, pulling at the bandana on his neck. What the fuck does this look like, you stupid fucking bitch? I'll kill you. <laughs> so she said, Whoa. Sir, blood or she said, Sir, you need a mask. And he pulled the bandana on his neck and said, What the fuck does this look like, you stupid fucking bitch? I'll kill you. I yelled at him to get the fuck out and went to get my pepper spray. The man tried to convince my chef that I was the crazy one as we tried to escort him out. I screamed at him again to get the fuck out, and when he saw my pepper spray, he said, Mace me and I'll come back and fucking kill you, you stupid bitch. I make money. Fuck you. And screamed... I make money. <laughs> fuck you? Fuck you. That's a good one. <laughs> and screamed, Fuck you. I make money at me down the street, and that he was going to kill me. I was immediately approached by a woman who asked me where her drinks were. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best part. That's the end of the email. Aww. That's the best part is that in the middle of everything, this woman's like, um, excuse me, I ordered drinks? Where are my drinks? That was... <laughs> so, well, the guy with the teardrop tattoo on his face just yeah. like, tried to kill me. Well, that's cool. <laughs> you know, whatever you um, say. I had, um, uh, a couple months ago, I actually had somebody throw a bar stool at me through my window. So um, through through the plate glass window at Hinterlands, the one with the sign oh, on yeah, it. Oh yeah, yeah, I yes. saw I saw the video of it. Yes. Yeah. And so imagine how scary that video was. Now imagine it was me he was throwing the chair at. So that dude so, was like seriously mentally ill, right? Yeah. So he came up to the door, and he asked us for a cigarette, and I was sitting at a table where I sit. Um, to escort people to the backyard and then we have one bartender inside and everybody else is in the back So I'm sitting at this one table. It's like bright as day inside dark outside and this guy comes into the doorway And he, he has no mask on and he's like hey, can I get a cigarette? And I was like you need to wear a mask and he's like no, no, no But can I have a cigarette and I was like I don't have a cigarette But you need to wear a mask and he was already like two or three feet inside the door Could you tell and, he was like unhinged or? Um yeah, because then he said, fuck you, you fucking bitch, fuck you, I'll kill you. Kind of like that. It wasn't the same guy, because he didn't have any tattoos on his face. Yeah. But he was like, fuck you, you fucking bitch, I'll fucking kill you. I made the tattoos you. on the face up. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, that's what she said, right? Oh, he, she did? Isn't that what the guy, Takashi69, has tattoos He's a SoundCloud rapper? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so he starts cursing and screaming at me. And the thing about... Um, what makes a bar safe is kind of the customers. Right. Like, we don't have a bouncer. Generally, like, our regulars are protecting us because no one's going to come in and start shit because they don't know who's there. But everybody who would help me was in the back, except for one guy who was sitting at a table that we have on the sidewalk in the front. And here's this guy screaming and cursing at me and saying he's going to kill me. And he grabbed him out of the doorway. And then the guy was really upset by that, and he was like, fuck you, I'm going to call the cops. Um, and he, like, got on his phone like he was calling the cops. And I told this guy, I was like, why don't you get out of here, because he's going to call the cops. Which was, in hindsight, also a bad idea, because then the guy picked up a bar stool and threw it at the window at me. Threw it through the window well, at me. Well, he left, and then he came he back. He left and came back. Yeah. yeah, I was condensing it. He yeah. left, he came back. Well, first, he picked up the bar stool, threw it at the window and threw the table into the street and the bar stool bounced off the window. Then he ran down the street, he came back, he picked it up, and this time he threw it through the window. You know window. what, Charlene, I, 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 I'd be interested in this podcast and like getting emails from people 
uh-huh. is bartender's worst stories. <laughs> the scariest shit that ever happened to them. But I want to get that from the bartenders that I talk to. I would like the people to send me their, like, everyday stories. Well, yeah, all right, fair <laughs> enough. But, 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 yeah, all right, so, uh, so... But tell me your worst story. Um, I want to hear your oh, worst story. Oh, I have story. a bunch. Um, uh, tell me your second top worst story. You know Jimmy Gestapo from Murphy's Law? Sure. Sam? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to tell that story, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I'll, I'll just, I I'll like just, that. I like that. I'll just say that I had to beg him to stop killing somebody uh, on the floor of St. Vitus. Um, but tell uh, a story about somebody not about somebody trying to kill somebody without giving their name. Okay. So we can not so, worry. <laughs> I'm at Matchless. Okay. It's four, five. No, we didn't open till like we, it was all twelve-hour shifts. So mm-hmm. I mean, for us it was like sixteen-hour shifts, but because <laughs> we would be there yes. till late in the morning. Yes, um, been there. So I'm at Matchless, and it's just me and the uh, sound guy Nico, and these bunch of dudes come in from a moving company. It's always Mexican dudes, like uh-huh. like totally like cool, like but they oddly order apple martinis. Hilarious. So I make like six apple martinis, <laughs> and it's when Matchless had the had the pool table, which was. You know, eventually had become a coat check, and yes. then you know d- disappeared. Thank God, because it was a fucking nightmare. And I'm not so as a bar person. I think bar pool pool tables are just never. Fucking, no, they're fucking. Never. They're a fight waiting to happen. Yes, all the time. Yes, Cherry Tower. Cherry Tree Tower. <laughs> fucking worst fucking place ever for a fucking pool table. Anyway, so <laughs> so. These guys come in, they're, they're drinking at fucking apple martinis, right? It's weird. fucking weird. And they're on, like, their second round, and they keep putting the apple martinis on the felt. That's a no-no. Right? So I'm like, I'm like yo, guys. like, Never put a drink you, on the felt. Could, could you, could, <laughs> like, and, like, maybe, like, two of them spoke English. The rest of them didn't really understand English. I realized this after mm-hmm. a little while. And I'm like, okay, could you just take it off? Like, And this guy just goes, you know what? Fuck you. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. And they have pool cues in their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, essentially, having a pool table is giving people a fucking weapon. A weapon, yeah. So the ball I'm, too. And like, so, so <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, and then I'm like, yo, what? I'm like, what the fuck? And then, and then he takes, he picks up the uh, napkin holder, uh-huh. or whatever, and just fucking throws it at me. Uh huh. And he's like, fuck you, man. And I'm like, all right, dude, like, whatever. So there's a baseball bat. Yeah. Back behind the bar. Because you have a baseball team. Uh, we have a softball team. As, as a cop once, like, hey, you guys play softball? Hey, you guys play softball? Yeah. Hey, you guys play softball? If you have a bat, you got to have a glove and a ball. So Lesson. I grab the bat. you keep a bat in a trunk, keep a glove and a ball in your trunk. I grab the bat, right, and I have it behind my back, and it's like, I'm standing there. And and he's like, he's like, oh, what, you fucking pussy? What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? So at this point, I'm like... Okay, there's a couple of scenarios that are going on in my head. Yeah. I'm thinking about how I don't have health insurance. Yes. Right, so I'm like, okay, that's number one in my head. All right, so, like, am I going to be offensive or defensive when this guy comes back with the fucking, yeah. you know, like, how is this going to work? He keeps throwing shit at me. This whole shit starts coming around the bar. And there's six of them. So I'm like, I'm fucked. And Nico, What was in those apple martinis? Fucking <laughs> aggression. So I hit the panic button because there was a panic button behind the bar. Ooh, I gotta get one of those. And I mean, I have one. We have one here. <laughs> um, so I hit the panic button, and and I'm like, oh, like like this is before he came to the bar behind the bar. And I'm like, okay, dude, I just hit the bu- the button. The cops are gonna be here in a couple minutes. You you guys probably just go. This is a four thirty or five thirty in the afternoon. Wow. Like I'm not kidding. This is that early. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm like, fuck. And when he started coming behind me, so Nico kind of moved his chair out to like sort of block him a little bit. Uh-huh. And, and like, and the guy's just like, he starts coming around. And I'm like, in my brain, everything went slow motion. I'm like, okay, so I'm either going to break this guy's legs and go to jail. Uh-huh. Or I'm going to go, I'm going to end up in the hospital with no health insurance. Yeah. So either way, I'm, I'm in a lose-lose situation. Yeah. At that moment, a fucking ambulance with the fucking shit blaring because I had told him obviously I told yeah, him yeah, like, yeah. I called the cops but it wasn't the cops it wasn't the cops but an ambulance went by 
siren blared, and he was like, he immediately just went, we gotta go. And everybody, they just left immediately. And I was just like, holy fucking shit. Wow. Like, and it, you know, there's a thing about bartending that, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I can't get too far into it, but you have to judge every single person that walks every in. Every single person. And, and that's, it, that can be an, a terribly unfortunate thing to have to deal with. But also, you end up judging every single person everywhere. It's true. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> this has been I Know the Owner. Um, if He's you would a like total to, dick. If you would like to support <laughs> us, um, you can leave us a tip at Hinterlands Bar uh, via Venmo. Um, you can email us at hinterlandsbarmerch at gmail.com if you want to buy a hoodie or a t-shirt. If you want to support... Uh, south, come by South and have a drink. They're Yay. still um, open for outdoor seating, and they have a lovely little hut that I'm sitting in. And it's pretty warm, even with the heater off, so we could plug in the microphone. And I'll bet it's even warmer with the heater on. And I want to thank my guest, Artie Shepard. Get <laughs> the reference out. I just Charlie. had to look at my notes. Um, and I want to thank um, Alex Smith for editing. And this has been I Know the Owner. Bye-bye. Later. Thanks, Artie. Thank you. All right. We did it. I know the owner. I know the owner. I know the owner.